So as you know, we are going through a series of 1st and 2nd Timothy. We started last week with 1st Timothy chapter 1. So that brings us to chapter 2 today. And so as we mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy who is leading, pastoring the church there at Ephesus and realizing that the letter that he is writing to Timothy would be read to the church. So it is a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is from the Lord, therefore, to the church, his bride, letters to the bride. And as we said last week, as we understand, as we come to this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy, we understand that Ephesus was not an easy church in which to pastor. It was not an easy place in which to live either as a believer and that there were struggles outside the church. Uh, in that culture, there was a lot of idolatry, a lot of paganism, some cultic prostitution. There was a lot of just a wicked culture uh, in which to be planted as a church and to be able to, to make a difference for the gospel. But not only was it a struggle outside the church, but there were struggles inside the church uh, as well. And that there were some false doctrines, some false teachings that were being given out by some leaders even of the church. And so as we looked at last week, Timothy was reminded by the Apostle Paul that he had some great responsibility in order for the gospel to be presented and for it to be out in that culture and in that church. But he told him to fight the good fight of faith. And we'll hear that over and over again throughout this uh, series. But now, as we think about uh, Timothy having the great responsibility, fighting the good fight... As Paul would be now giving direction to Timothy as we come to chapter 2, what do you think that Paul would say is the most important thing to do in this culture and in this church? If the gospel must, be, must not be compromised and it must be advanced, what would Paul say that the church then needs to do? What needs to be in the church, of the church, and done by the church? When the church gathers to worship... What does that look like? What must that look like? And also, as we worship throughout the week, we don't worship just on Sunday morning. We gather here as the body on Sunday mornings, but we worship also individually out in our homes. And what does that look like in our own lives, and what must that look like? Well, we see some things here from 1 Timothy 2. And so in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read that for you this morning. 1 Timothy 2. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. This is going to be fun today, folks. I'm just telling you. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, She'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. Oh Lord, it is our authority. It is how we are to live our lives as believers, and you are always right, and your ways are always good. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use our time together this morning to challenge us, to stir us up to be more like Jesus. Lord, to do all that we can as your disciples today, as believers, to advance the kingdom in our community and around the world. Father, I pray that we would see what that looks like in our lives as we worship you, the one true living God. And we pray, Lord, that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus as their Savior, that this would be that hour of salvation. Lord, to come to know the sweet Jesus that we know who loves us, who gave himself for us on the cross of Calvary and has given us a hope and a future. Father, I pray now that you'd be with us, that you'd challenge those of us who also know you as Savior, that this would be a time 
indeed, where we would learn more from your word. Lord, that you would challenge us and make us to be more like you and that we would be faithful to how you've called us to live out our lives. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Are you all glad to be here this morning? Amen. Well, some of you look like you just got back from vacation. You realize you got to go to work tomorrow. I understand that. That just happens, doesn't it? But hey, we're glad to be in the Lord's house this Lord's day. Amen? And we want to hear what God's Word has to say to us. And so as you look at uh, your bulletin, you see there is an outline there. We want to go through and help you fill in some of those blanks as we move along here. But we see here, first off, that good worship involves prayers. Good worship involves prayers. Now, Paul's greatest concern, remember this, Paul's greatest concern was for the gospel and for the gospel to be advanced. Last week, we saw that the truth and the thrust and the trust of the gospel must be maintained as we saw in chapter 1. It must be maintained as the church in the community around us and out in the world. Paul's desire, as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter is for the gospel to be advanced by the church, and especially in that wicked, in that pagan, in that sexually immoral culture, the gospel must get out uh, to the people who were in Ephesus. And so right off the bat, we find that Paul shows us, first off, the importance of prayers. The importance of prayers. We find in verse 1 where he says, Therefore, I exhort first of all, That's key. First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, isn't it interesting that if just a couple verses prior to chapter 2, verse 1 here, in the the ends of uh, chapter 1, where he has told Timothy that he is to fight the good fight or to wage the good warfare and to keep the faith... Knowing the struggles, Paul, knowing the struggles that are outside uh, of the church and inside of the church, that he says, first of all, first of all means this is what must be done. This is important. Take note of this, Timothy. Take note of this church. This is what must be done. And he says, tells them what that is. First of all, pray. Now, notice there what he doesn't say. He doesn't say to the church, first of all, I want you to establish a committee. Amen? He doesn't say, first of all, I want you to find a new program. He doesn't say, first of all, I want you to train your people. First of all, I want you to start a new class. No. First of all, he says that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, what he has said there, in reality, is to pray. Because those those are... Four words that deal with prayer that mean to pray, all just using a different word. So he is saying, first of all, that you pray and pray and then pray and then give thanks while you pray for all men. That's what he's saying. And pray. Keep praying. That's exactly right. So he's using just simply four different words. There are seven words that that mean to pray, but he uses four of them here. And so prayer is this. Prayer is going before the throne of God. When we pray, we're entering into the presence of Almighty God and our Creator, the King of the universe, the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. So when we pray, we're going before the throne room of heaven. And by the way, we can't get there outside of the blood of Jesus, by the way. Amen? We are going into the throne room of heaven. So pray is is going before the throne room of God, seeking His guidance, asking for a need that needs to be met, Drawing near or having a conversation with someone in whom we can have confidence. That's what prayer is. It is going before someone, having this conversation, who is the king of all kings, our creator, and we're going to him because we have confidence in him. Prayer is also a time in which we are depending on the Lord. We go to the Lord in dependence upon him. Depending upon him to be God who he says he is to do the things that only he can do. We go depending on God. As a matter of fact, in verse 8, which we're going to get to more fully in just a few minutes, but if you look at verse 8, he says, I desire, desire therefore that men pray ever, lifting up holy, hand, holy hands without wrath and doubt. And lifting up hands. 
In that culture in that day, one of the things in which they did and one of the postures in which they had when they prayed was to stand with their hands lifted up, their arms lifted up, and their hands outstretched with the palms up toward heaven as a symbol that they were dependent upon the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you that's how you have to pray, but you need to pray depending on the Lord. Amen? Amen? We're depending on the Lord. Prayer is being dependent on Him. And so I have to wonder, friends, are we really depending on the Lord when we pray? I have to really wonder sometimes, do we really believe that he will answer us when we pray? You know, I was working on this this week, and my mind went back to an illustration, an old one. You may have heard it before. If so, if you've heard it before, just pretend like you haven't, all right? And so as we think about this, is a man by the name of George Mueller. And there's a captain of a ship who had had George Mueller on the ship with him weeks before he recounted this story to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Inglis. And so they're crossing over the ocean, and he says to Mr. Inglis, this captain does, Mr. Inglis, he says, The last time I crossed here, Mr. Inglis, five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. He says, We had a man on, man on board, a man of God, a man by the name of George Mueller, who was from Bristol. And I had been on the bridge for 22 hours and never left it. And I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder, and it was George Mueller. George Mueller looked at the captain, and he said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. Well, this was Wednesday, and so the captain said to George Mueller, That's impossible. Well, George Mueller says, Very well. If your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. For I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. The captain said, I would willingly help you, but how can I? I'm helpless. George Mueller replied and said, let us go down to the chart room and pray. Well, the captain looked at that man of God, and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could could that man have come from? Because I've never heard of such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, the captain said, do you know how dense... The fog is outside? To which George Mueller replied, No, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. And so right then and right there, George Mueller got down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers. The prayer was something like this, O Lord, if it's consistent with your will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement that you made for me in Quebec Saturday, and I believe it's your will. Well, the captain said that when he finished, I was going to pray, but George Mueller put his hand on my shoulder, and he told me not to pray, and he said this, Captain, first, you do not believe that he will, and second, I believe he already has, and there's no need whatever for you to pray about it. And so I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain... I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. He said, get up, captain, and open the door, and you'll find that the fog is gone. And so the captain said he got up, and indeed the fog was gone. And George Mueller was in Quebec on Saturday afternoon and on time. Amen? Amen. Friends, I wonder... Do we pray like that? Do we pray depending on the Lord? Do we pray believing that He will answer, that He is able to do what He can do? For when we pray, we are to pray depending on Him. And when we pray, we're to pray believing in Him and to pray being confident in Him. And here's the thing, friends. Listen. When we are not praying, we are saying to the Lord, I don't need you in this. Amen? When we're not praying, we're saying, Lord, I I don't need you. I got this. I can handle this one on my own. Friends, we need to be people of prayer. Praying. Paul is saying that the most important thing that you can do in the church as a child of God, especially as it comes to advancing the gospel 
is to pray. So the importance of prayer we see here in this passage, but also we see that prayers are to be inclusive and intentional. Inclusive and intentional. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Verse 1 says, Therefore exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. He says that these prayers, giving of thanks, prayers and the giving of thanks are to be made for all men and for kings and all who are in authority. So it is a very inclusive prayer in which we are to be praying as the church, praying for all men. And Paul here especially is making sure that the people in Ephesus understand some of what he's talking about here because evidently there were those false teachers who were thinking and teaching that only certain people could be saved, only those who kept the law maybe. And so he's making sure that they know that we're to pray for all men, Jew and Gentile alike, all men to be saved. We're to pray for all men and all those who are kings and those who are in authority. It's interesting that as Paul is writing these words that the emperor Nero was the leader of Rome during this time who, was, who would be a very cruel leader toward the Christians. And so he says to pray for them, to pray for all men and pray for kings and all those who are in authority. Now, what is it that we're to pray for those in authority? Well, we've, we've got some ideas of what we want to pray, amen, for our leaders, amen? But we certainly must pray for the Lord to grant them wisdom, to grant them direction, to grant them discernment. But in the context of this letter, Paul is wanting the church to influence the culture with the gospel, and so he is praying to influence the ability for the gospel to be able to advance. And so how do we do that as we're praying for our leaders? Well, we are to pray for their salvation. First and foremost, our leaders need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing that we can pray for our leaders, amen? For our president, our vice president, our cabinet, and some of them already uh, claim to know Jesus Christ, but you still pray for those who don't know Jesus. Pray for the Supreme Court, the Congress, all these folks who are ahead of us and over us in authority. Pray for their salvation. And as we're praying for their salvation, we're praying also for the gospel to be advanced in our culture, in our country, in our city, in our communities. One of the commentators this week said that constant prayer can be a mighty weapon against Satan's domination, helping the nation to remain quiet and peaceable so that believers can continue their work of spreading the gospel in all godliness and dignity or in reverence. And so we're to pray inclusively. We're to pray for all men to be saved all human beings, all people to be saved. But also we're praying intentionally for God's kingdom to advance. So as we're praying for our neighbors, as we're praying for our friends, we're praying for folks who are lost, praying for our culture, praying for our country, our cities, whatever, we're to be praying for the kingdom of God to be built up. You see, friends, understand something. Advancing the gospel is about building up God's kingdom. We're not here today, we're not here as believers to build up our kingdom. We're here to build up God's kingdom. Amen? It's not about us getting a... We want more people to come to Mount Pleasant. We want more people to be saved. But ultimately, it's not about the kingdom of Mount Pleasant. It's about the kingdom of God. Amen? We're seeking to build up God's kingdom. That's why we meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. And if they come to Mount Pleasant, well, praise the Lord. But if they go to another Bible-believing church, that's great too, amen? We're out to build up God's kingdom. That's what it's about. And so we're to pray for that kingdom to advance, for the gospel to advance, and it is to be intentional for the salvation of souls. As a matter of fact, in verse 3 and 4, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's desire for people to be saved. Now, not all will be saved, but God has made the way so that all could be saved. Amen? So, he is, so, we're, so we understand that it is to be our desire, as well as Paul's desire, for people to come to know Christ, since that's God's desire, and be intentional to pray for their salvation. We're to pray for all to be saved. We need to be praying, friends, for barriers to be broken, for the darkness to be pierced, and for strongholds to be pulled down. These same struggles that were at Ephesus 
were also in many other Jewish communities in that time where the Jews would look at the Gentiles and say that those people aren't worthy of salvation. I'm not sure that I want those people to come to know Christ because they don't really fit who we are. They're not doing things the way we do. They just don't fit in. Friends, I I wonder if we've ever felt the same thing. Maybe we're not talking about Jews and Gentiles, but maybe we said, you know, they need Jesus, but they just won't fit here. I pray to the Lord that's never us. Amen? Never us. No, prayers are to be inclusive. We are to pray intentionally for all, for all, for all to be saved from perishing. All. You know what all means? It means all, right? Pray for all to be saved from perishing. Whether as in, in that day, whether that was Jew or Gentile, praying for all to be saved. So we're praying for all to be saved today, whether they are Jew or Gentile, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're old or young, whether they're educated or uneducated, whether they're powerful or the powerless. Friends, listen, we're to pray for all to be saved, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, whether they're liberals or conservatives, whether they're capitalists or communists, we're to pray for all to be saved. We're, pray, we're to pray for all to be saved. Are you getting me this morning? Pray for all to be saved from Colonial Heights down to Chester, from Prince George over to Petersburg, from Hampton to Harrisonburg, to Williamsburg to Washington, and from Abingdon to Arlington. We're to pray for all to be saved. Y'all following along here? We're to pray for all to be saved from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, up to Freeport, Maine. From Portland, Maine, over to Portland, Oregon. From Seattle, Washington, all the way down to San Diego. From New Mexico up to New York. Friends, we're to pray for all to be saved. We're to pray for all to be saved in our county, in, our, in every township, in every parish, in every city, in every borough, on every reservation, up every mountain holler, in every valley, and in every neighborhood. Amen? We're to pray for all to be saved. On every street, on every corner, on every lane, on every road, on every highway and byway and parkway. We're to pray for all to be saved. We're to pray for all to be saved. From Australia to Amsterdam. From Vietnam to Venezuela. From Quebec to Qatar. From Brazil to Belize. From Jamaica to Japan, from India to Indonesia, from Europe to Ethiopia, from South America to Saudi Arabia. Friends, we're to pray for who? For all to be saved. Amen? For all to be saved. Listen, if you, if you want to influence your church, if you want to influence your culture, If you want to influence your city, if you want to influence your culture and your country, then pray for all to be saved. I love what was said about A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian and the Missionary Alliance. It was said about Mr. Simpson that he would wake up in the morning, he would bow on his knees, and he'd clutch a globe, and he'd weep in prayer. For people. Friends, I wonder when was the last time we wept over lost souls? When was the last time we wept over lost countries and lost states and lost neighborhoods, our lost neighbors? Want to make a difference in the world, friends? Paul says, first of all, pray. Amen? Pray. Pray. It's to be inclusive and intentional. Secondly, we see not only prayers are to be in good worship, but also preachers. Good worship involves preachers. Now, it's not what you think. We're not talking about the preacher today, okay? We're talking about preachers. And so as we think about these next couple of verses, we find that as preachers, there's a message. And the message is found in verses 5 and 6. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Bible here tells us a part of this message is that there is one God. There's only one God. Not a bunch of gods. There's only one God. Not an idol. One God. Not a picture on a wall or an icon. One God. 
Not one of many gods. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. There's only one God, friends, one. And then he says that there's one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and between man. That is between God and man, which is Jesus Christ. Job reminds me of Job who longed for a mediator in Job 9 verses 32 and 33. He says, for, he says, for he, speaking of God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor, he says, is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Friends, Jesus Christ is that mediator as fully God and fully man who is our mediator. Jesus Christ is the bridge between God and man to bring us and to give us hope. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. There is no, listen, there is no other way to be right with God apart from Jesus Christ. There's one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, and not Dr. Phil. None of these guys, right? The only one is Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. There is no other. The, the message is there's one God, one mediator, Jesus Christ, he gave, who gave himself. Jesus is the one who did not deserve to die because he was perfect. He never sinned, but yet he took our sin upon himself and he gave himself for us on the cross of Calvary. He gave himself. 1 John three sixteen says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. He didn't have to, but because of his love for us, he went to the cross for us. He gave himself a ransom for all. You know what a ransom is? Jesus is that ransom. He paid the price. A ransom is a payment paid to release a slave. Friends, we once were in bondage, enslaved to sin and Satan, unable to pay our own debt and live. But Jesus paid the price for us, giving us life as a sacrifice for us. He became our substitute. He paid our ransom. He is our ransom, our substitute for us, the once-for-all sacrifice. And this is the message that all need to hear. One God, one mediator, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who gave himself for us on the cross as a ransom for us. We simply trust him by faith. It's a message that all need to hear. And so how do they hear? Well, we've got the message in verse 5 and 6, and then we find the means in verse 7. Verse 7 is the means. What's the means by which this message is proclaimed? Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So Paul says, I was appointed a preacher, a herald, a proclaimer, he's saying. I'm an apostle, and the church at Ephesus needed to be reminded that he's the one in authority. He is called by God to be that apostle. And he says, and I'm a teacher of faith and truth to the Gentiles, to not only the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. They also are to hear the gospel. And so the means by which the message of the gospel is to be proclaimed is through a preacher. Okay, we got that, Pastor. We know you're the preacher. Now move on. Oh, wait. Hold on. Just hang on. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he would say, preach the word, right? And then in Romans 10, Paul writes to the churches, inspired by the Holy Spirit, verses 14 and 15, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? For it's written, how beautiful are feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Well, all right, pastor, that settles it, right? What are you talking about? Well, you see, it says here that how should they preach unless they are sent? And that's your job. You're the one who's sent. I've not been sent to preach. Hang on just a minute. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and by the way, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. He says, 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are our marching orders. Amen? Those are our marching orders. We all have been sent to be preachers. Now understand this, friends. Listen. Not everyone is called to be a pastor. But every believer in Jesus Christ is called to be a preacher of the message of the gospel. Amen? No matter who you are, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sent by God to be a preacher of the gospel, to preach the message of Jesus Christ to this world around us. So in good worship, worship in the church, but also worship as the church out in the world, is to be prayers, but also preachers. And then we come to the third thing that we see here that needs to be as a part of the church, in the church, of the church, is proper postures. Proper postures. So Paul now turns his attention, as we look at this next portion of the scripture, he turns his attention likely to some issues that Timothy would need to deal with in the church at Ephesus. But as he writes these, understand that these are principles that are to be applied in every church, okay? So he says here, first off, have proper posture. The first thing we find here is the posture of holiness, the posture of holiness. And what Paul is doing here is he is calling out the men in the church here. If you'll notice this in verse 8. He says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, holy hands without wrath and doubting. He's telling the men they are to pray. Step it up and take the lead and pray. But he's also not telling them not only that they need to pray, but he's telling them how to pray. Not so much the lifting up of the hands, but notice the word in the middle of that, holy hands. He's calling them to pray with the right attitude. He's calling them to pray with the right character. He's calling them to pray with the right posture, which is the posture of holiness. You see, friends, it's not about the Bible says, okay, you've got to lift up your, holy, your, your hands when you pray. No, that's not what he's saying at all here. What he's saying is that you, as you pray, you're to pray lifting up holy hands. You're to pray with a holy heart, a heart that is pure. Holy hands indicates hands that have been purified by a pure heart. And the hands itself means it's an indication of a clean life. It's a holy life. Clean hands are a holy life. So you have a holy life because you have a holy heart. And because you have a holy holy heart, then you're also to have a holy life. Living that holy life. Having clean hands before the world before the community, before the church. So you have this holy heart that brings about a holy life. In Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of our Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn deceitfully. So we're to have this holy life as we pray. We're able to enter into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Because of our hearts are pure because of what Jesus did for us. But not only that, he's saying that as you pray, as people are watching you, you need to make sure that your life is also holy, having clean hands, holy hands. And he describes what, what the deal is, what's happening here. He sort of gives the clarification there without wrath and doubting. So evidently there were some issues going on with the wrath, which is anger and doubting, which really means disputing or quarreling. So there was some anger and some quarreling that was going on in the church. And so he's making it very clear to the men they need to step up, they need to pray, but you do so without this sin in your life, this sin of anger, this sin of quarreling. Evidently that was going on. Because effective praying comes from a right relationship with God and with others. But sin in our lives hinders our prayers. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that in Psalm 66, 18, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. There's sin in my life. The Lord pushes back from that. So for prayers to be effective in praying for the advancement of the gospel, have the proper posture of holiness by the church and in the community. In other words, friends, listen. When we pray, we need to make sure that we're praying for the holy heart that brings about holy hands. We need to pray in such a way that we also have a holy life as people see us. So when you're living your life out in the world, 
The world needs, to, world needs us to pray for them for their salvation. That's what God's called us to do. But also in us as believers, the world needs to see in us a holy life. They need to see us living a holy life. Don't claim to be a Christian and go out here and live like the devil. Amen? Live the holy life that he's called us to live. And the only way we're able to live that holy life is if we have a holy heart. He's the one who changes. We've talked about that a lot in the past little bit. But have the holy heart changes us to have the holy life, the clean hands, the holy hands. So we see that we're to have holiness. Proper posture in the church, in the world, to make a difference, to advance the gospel, is to have holiness. The second thing is to have humbleness or humility. So here we go. Just as the men needed correction... In their proper posture, so did the women. He says, uh, in like manner also, verse 9, in like manner also. So just like the men needed to be corrected in their proper posture, they needed holiness. Now he comes to the women who needs to be humbleness. And we see that, verse 9 and 10. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with Good works. Boy, isn't this fun? Amen? So look, as we think about this passage of Scripture and what is being said here by the Apostle Paul, we need to remember what is happening in the context of the church there at Ephesus and where they are. Remember that Ephesus was filled with sexual immorality in that culture around them. Cultic prostitution. There was a lot of filthiness and idolatry and wickedness and paganism. And not only that, but there were people who were seeking a social status of of wealth and prestige and showing that off to people. And so evidently there were some women in the church here where Timothy is pastoring that Paul is now addressing these women who are apparently dressing provocatively. Or they're showing how wealthy they were in the way of their clothing or their jewelry. And here's the thing. It had become a distraction. It had become a distraction to their worship. It had become a distraction to the church. And it had become a distraction to the advancement of the gospel in the community. And so Paul, remember now, the goal is to advance the gospel by the church in the community. And so here's what Paul is trying to say. Here's the principle that he is laying down. That God's people, now listen, God's people are not to do anything that would draw attention away from the Lord. To draw people's attention to themselves away from the Lord. The women here needed to seek to dress properly and in moderation so as to not distract the people away from the Lord. So here's the thing. In our clothing, the goal should not be What can I wear to attract attention to myself? But rather, what can I be that attracts others to the Lord? Amen? That's the principle that we need to apply here. It's not what we wear. What can I wear to attract people to look at me and have attention to me? But rather, what can I be? A man or a woman of God that will attract others, not to who who I am, but rather to who he is. So listen, friends, it's, it's, it's about character, not the clothing here. It's about the humility, not the hair. It's about sharing your faith, not sharing your shoes. It's about your dedication, not the dress. And it's about Jesus, not the jewelry. Amen? So the proper posture that's about, this is about advancing the gospel by the church and the community is holiness and humbleness, but also, thirdly, harmonious. Look at verses 11 and 12. It just gets better. All right, here we go. Paul says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. Let me just drink a little water here. Okay. So remember... What was going on in the Ephesian church, okay? 
Remember, we talked about this last week and a little bit here as well. There was division and there was confusion in the church because of the false teachers, the false leaders. And so because of this division and this confusion, order, order needed to take place. And we know, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that God does all things decently and in order. And friends, whether we like it or not, God has an order for men and for women. God has an order. So, Pastor, I don't know that I like that. Well, that's okay. Just understand that He's God and we're not. Amen? He has the plan. His ways are right. His ways are good. But this is what you do need to keep in mind. He has an order for men and women. But in this order, you need to always remember this, that it's not... Watch this now. It's not about value. It's about roles. R-O-L-E-S, not R-O-L-L-S, all right? Okay? It's about value, not our roles. Or rather, it's not about value, it's about our roles. It's not about, and here's the other thing, it's not about superiority, but it's about authority. It's not about value, it's about our roles. It's not about superiority. It's rather about authority. Somebody will take this one verse, get all stirred up about this one verse, maybe plastered on the back of a truck somewhere or something like that, and may get a little upset about that verse. But here, here's the thing, friends. Listen, for every verse of Scripture, it's been said that the best commentary on one Scripture is the rest of the Scripture. And so you take this one verse, but you also need to look at the rest of the verses in the scripture to see just what is being said here. And when we think about this, what is being said here, you can easily take this one verse out, take it out of context and get upset about it. But when you look at the rest of the scripture, you see that there were women who were praying in the scripture. There were women uh, like Timothy's mother and grandmother who were teaching him about the gospel. There are other people like women like Lydia and Priscilla, all were taken apart in the gospel. And understand also that in that culture, women were considered to be lower class and they were not held in high esteem by that culture at all. But when the gospel took place in a person's life, the gospel changed the status of women. Because God sees women equal. He loves women equally, he died for them equally, and he changes their life equally. And even here, as we look at this passage of Scripture, even in that verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, is really Paul raising the status of women. Well, how do you get that, Pastor? Because he's saying, let a, woman, let a woman learn. It was a novel idea to encourage women to learn in that culture. And so Paul is actually raising their status here. We, for us, it's nothing. We always want, we think about our daughters, we want them to grow up and to get educated and you know, do all the smart things and be smarter than mom and dad. But in that culture, that was not the case. But Paul says, let a woman, let a woman learn. What gets this passage of scripture so people stirred up about as he goes further, says, let a woman learn in silence. The word silence here simply means quietly or having tranquility or having a settled heart and life. So likely what was taking place in that culture and in that church is that Uh, Paul is saying here that that there were some women who were seeking to exert authority over the men. But again, God has an order. And because God has an order, he has differing roles for men and women. And order, since they were in the midst of confusion and diversity and disunity, the order creates harmony among God's people. He's saying, go back to the order. God's authority over us, and men have authority over the women in the church, but also that's the case in the home. It's just God's order. Paul even points back to creation, how it all began. God's order at the very beginning, verses 13 through 15. I'm not going to read all that now, but that's where he goes back to. He says, look, here's God's order. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't know if I like this or not. Well, I understand that, but you've got to understand that this is God. God's, God has his way. His ways are perfect. His ways are right. But this is what you do need, to understand, do need to understand, that, yes, God has an order, and men are to be those who are in authority, 
in the church, but also in their home. But nowhere does that imply that men are superior to women. Nowhere. Nowhere. We're the same in God's eyes. He died for men and women. He changed his lives of men and women. We're the same. He just has a different role for men and for different women. It's God's order. And so men are to have that authority. Now, men, let me just speak to you for a minute. Before you get all big in your britches right now, thinking I'm somebody, because I'm an authority over my wife, you need to understand this. With authority comes accountability. And so God is holding you accountable to how you lead your wife, how you lead your family, and indeed how we lead his church. So with authority comes great accountability. Love your wife like Christ loved the church, which is an unconditional love. And that's a sermon for another day. But anyway, I want you to have that as well. This is the proper posture. With the proper posture of a holy life, a humble life, and a life that is harmonious, keeping the proper order of how God has done things and how God desires things to be, friends, that helps to advance the gospel by the church into the community and around the world when God's people are living this life that he's called us to live. God, good worship involves prayer. Important, it's important that we pray. It's inclusive. It should be intentional. It's for all, praying for all to be saved. Good worship involves preachers. There's a message. It's the gospel message as well as the means is that each one of us are to be the preachers. And also there's a proper posture. Holy posture, a humble posture, and a harmonious, harmonious posture. And so now there's just two things that I have for you to do, real quick. Two things to do. In order for us to advance the gospel as the church, the first thing that we need to ask you to do, as we find in the scripture, is to pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. As a matter of fact, today I'm going to ask you, if you would, to think about three specific people that you know who do not know Jesus. Maybe, if you, maybe you know kind of about them. Maybe you don't know their name. You say, that person that lives on the corner of whatever. You know, just write it down so that when you're praying this week, pray for those three people. Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost in these, for these three people specifically. But then I want you to widen that out and begin to pray for your community your neighborhood, the street in which you live on. When you're driving from here back to your house, as you're getting closer and closer to your house, hey, take time and just look at, the, look at the houses and look at the people who are outside and look at the mailboxes and begin to pray for your community. Pray for people who don't know Jesus. And pray for our nation and pray for our countries, the countries around the world, for we all need Jesus. And then also... There's a little bit of a, a help that we have for you today in your bulletin. This 31 days of prayer for missions. This is going to help you to begin to pray missionally as well. As a matter of fact, you can pray missionally what's local and in the United States and then in the countries. Local is we want you to pray for our Bible school that's coming up. Well, Pastor, that's not missions. Oh, yes, it is. Because it is meeting people where they are and it's pointing them to Jesus. We're going to reach out to folks and we want them to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's our mission. Amen? And so pray for Bible school. Pray, pray look, each, of the, the, each of these prayers are uh, color-coordinated. As you go through the month, you're praying for Bible school. You're praying for South Dakota. And you're praying for Belize as we have these touches and being able to do some things not only locally but in South Dakota but also in a foreign country. So begin to pray missionally, praying for these folks and praying for these things that are on our list. So pray for the lost. And then secondly, not only pray for the lost, but then live with the proper posture. Live that life of worship. As you're praying for people to be saved and God gives you conversations, make sure that you're living a life that is exemplary, that is holy, that they can look at you and say, okay, yeah, there's something different about you. You are living a life of a Christian. Live a life of worship. Holy, humble, being in harmony with God and with others. You say, well, I'd love to do that, but I'm not sure that I can. Well, friends, it all begins with a step of faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not going to be right with God. 
And you're really not going to be right with other people. But you want to be right with God because he's your creator and he loves you. And so it takes a step of faith. It's acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a savior. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. It's turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, which is repentance. Confessing that we're sinners and we need him to save us. Embracing or believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross, arose again bodily from the grave, and professing him as the Lord and Savior of our life. It's a step of faith. So if you've never trusted Jesus and taken that step of faith, take that step of faith today in repentance and believing in him. But for those of us who are Christians, who are believers, may we use this time, this invitation that's about to take place as a time of recommitment, saying, I want to be a person of prayer. I want to pray for my lost neighbors. I want to pray for my lost friends. I want to pray for my lost family members. I want to pray and see God do something. I want to pray depending on God, but having confidence and believing in him to do great and mighty things which we do not yet know. I want to be that person of prayer. And I want to live that life of holiness. I want to live that life of humility. I want to live that life of being in harmony with God and my fellow man. Friends, whatever that looks like in your life, As God is calling you to make a decision of commitment, you come as we sing in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives, Lord, to be faithful to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes there are parts in it that we struggle with, but we're grateful that your word is always right and always good, and that it is the authority, and that we can test one scripture with the rest of the scripture and learn all about who you are and what you're calling us to be and do. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd guide and direct us to be the people of God, Lord, to love you and to follow you and to be faithful to you in every area of our lives. As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, may you draw us to yourself to pursue you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. To understand that your desire is for people to be saved, that that is our mission, and that you've called us apart to pray for the lost and to live a life of holiness and humility following your order but to preach that message of the gospel to the people around us. Lord, help us to be the preachers. Help us to be the prayers. And help us to have the posture. And Lord, we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise as you use us and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You come as God has dealt with your heart. You can come and pray silently. Or I'll be glad to pray with you here as we come and sing together.